it's probably not obvious that uh, Bruce has spent most of his career at Maranatha making fun of me and picking on me, but he's probably done that to many of you, so it's nothing new. Um, this is a special opportunity tonight. Um, most of my teaching is done in uh, smaller classrooms, and it's in with men and women. It's a really special opportunity to teach to a bunch of men, especially from our church, which is full of real men. And so uh, I'm really thankful for that. So we're going to look at some things tonight that are specifically targeted toward men. Um, some of the things we might talk about may come across as pretty blunt. Uh, and there's a side, part of me hopes that that's the truth because um, when I was thinking through the lesson tonight, it, it hit me pretty hard, and I thought sometimes with men, we just respond better to things that are sort of blunt and straightforward. Um, women are a lot better with subtleties. <laughs> a lot of men aren't. So if you look at side one of your handout, it says, let's consider this scenario. There was a man with a wife and two small children. One night when they were all in bed and asleep, they heard someone noisily trying to break into the house. This is the man now, the husband, the father. He quickly told his wife that she needed to go out and see what was going on and to do what was necessary to protect the family. He would wait in the bedroom until it was safe. Your thoughts. Any other thoughts? <laughs> uh, no. This conjure up any uh, strong emotions in you? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it does. Flip over to side two. As men, I hope we strongly reacted to this story. As men, I hope we were outraged. Now let's think about this example a different way. The evil one and his demons, as well as the world system, are currently attacking our wives and children. This is one of the main thrusts of the current spiritual warfare going on all around us the destruction of our families. The evil one and his demons in a world system mean real harm to our families. <clears throat> to whom did the Lord Jesus Christ assign the responsibility to lead, feed, and protect our families spiritually? If we look at Ephesians 5, it tells us pretty clearly for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now comes an impossibly high standard and burden and weight that sits squarely on our shoulders. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. 
He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So we see that the Lord Jesus Christ set the responsibility to protect our families squarely on us. As Jesus' men, we are responsible. Do we try and hide behind our wives? Do we let our wives take the spiritual leadership in the home? Do we say something like this to our wives? Honey, you are more spiritual than me. I will defer to you. Or perhaps even worse, do we not do anything? Do we pass the spiritual protection of our families to our wives? If we do, how is that different from the man who lets his wife physically protect his family? If we agree with this comparison and can see ourselves in it, what are we going to do about it immediately? We need to do something about it immediately because the war is going on right now. And if anything, it's greatly intensified over what it's been. I now see the need to be the spiritual leader in my home. How do I become that? Or if we agree with this comparison and can see a man we care about not taking this role of spiritual leadership... What are we going to do about it immediately? If we had either our men at Maranatha or no men here, if we go to Bruce or Butch or any of the elders or any of the deacons and you asked honestly, how can I become a better spiritual leader in my home? There are a lot of men that would gladly come to your aid and help you with that. At each table, would one or two of you pray that every man in this room will be the spiritual leader in their home so that the Lord is honored, the family is protected, and he does not face the humiliation before the Lord Jesus for not obeying this command? I don't think any of us want to stand before the Lord Christ and say, well, yeah, you made me the, you assigned me the role of spiritual head of my household, but I didn't do it. That's got to be an awkward moment. And so I guess t tonight would uh, one or two of you at each table pray for the guys at your table and for the group as a whole that we would all be spiritual leaders in our homes and be good examples to those men in our church that are not. So, Then we'll get into the helmet of salvation and see how that plays a part in all this. So, so would you pray? want to commit this evening to you. We want to honor your son. You have made him a great king, and everything was made by him and for him. 
And so as his men, we are here to serve as faithful soldiers, as faithful servants. May we serve our wives and our children well. May we serve our church well. May we serve your kingdom well. Your son is fearless and courageous. May we likewise be just like him because he empowers us to do all these things. And Father, you have left us in the middle of a war, but we are not defenseless. And so, Father, we pray that this whole series will uh, wake us up and this for us to see the war that's going on around us. And may we uh, fearlessly, courageously, boldly uh, fight the good fight until you've called us home. And we praise you, we thank you, we honor you, we glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. As we do every week, let's just uh, go through the passage in Ephesians and um, refresh our memories. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on a belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere, which is something we've just done. So tonight we're focusing on the helmet of salvation. Logically, you might be asking yourself, what credentials does this guy have to talk about these things? Well, I was drafted into the military in 1982 at the age of 32. At that time, I had a wife and two young children. In 1982, the entire world was at war, but I was basically clueless. I've now been in the Army for 40 years. My understanding of this world war and how and why it is fought has greatly increased. I have more than a few scars to prove my service. Sadly, and maybe like some of you, there were periods when I was not a faithful soldier. 
Members of my family have been seriously attacked more than once. Even as we're speaking tonight, there are members of my family that are under, under direct spiritual attack. The battle scars for those from those battles run deep, as you well know. I have been attacked. My theater of operations is probably primarily teaching God's word. My responsibility from the Lord is to help all soldiers understand how to use the helmet of salvation. To use their minds to think biblically and to see the world through God's eyes. And that's sort of an indirect plug for our ABF because that's what it's called through God's eyes. This entire passage on the armor of God is addressed to believers. Therefore, this helmet of salvation does not reflect attaining our salvation. The helmet is a piece of spiritual armor designed to protect our minds as soldiers of King Jesus from our three great enemies, Satan, the world, and ourselves. Here are some thoughts by Alistair Begg. Oh, something's magically happening here. I'm supposed to be seeing stuff here, so if I'm a little bit clumsy and awkward with this, you'll understand why. This is not Andy's problem, it's mine. Here's what Alistair Begg has to say about the helmet of salvation. It's a call to believe. Christianity is supremely and first of all a call to think. A lot of times the, the criticisms of Christianity we hear in our culture and our society is Christians don't think. They turn their brains off. That's not at all the way Christianity is meant to work. To think. In fact, it is a call in Christ as a soldier of Christ to think deeply and to feel deeply. The compassion and the necessity of the outworking of this good news has to then express itself in other ways. But for now and tonight, we're thinking about the importance of our minds. So we're in good company with Alistair Begg if we are looking at how important thinking is to the soldier of Christ. We never check our brains at the door when we commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the time real thinking should begin. This is what it means to put on the helmet. We never check our brains at the door when we come to church for corporate worship. We think deeply about who the Lord Jesus Christ is and all of his perfections. We never check our brains at the door when we go to our homes. We are always looking at how we need to lead, feed, and protect our families. We never check our brains at the door when we go to work. We are ever looking at ways to glorify Christ through our work and represent him on the job. He is our ultimate boss. Okay, we work for him. We will report to him. 
We never check our brains at the door when we retire from working. Christian men never walk away from the battle, never stop serving, never stop thinking. We never check our brains at the door when we exercise faith in Christ. We do not exercise blind, unthinking faith and trust. Let me repeat that. We never exercise blind, unthinking um, faith and trust. We never do that. We know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We know what he can do. So we exercise informed faith in his character and in his capabilities. The Lord does not ask us to exercise blind faith. We exercise faith in who he is. That's a thinking exercise. We are always thinking and evaluating the world around us. How do we glorify our Lord, advance his kingdom, and protect those around us from the evil one? One practical outworking of this helmet of salvation is that in the battle we pray as though it all depends on God and we prepare as though it all depends on us or me. All of you got a complimentary gift as a bookmark that you could stick in your Bible and it just is a good reminder for all of us. We pray as though it all depends on God which it does, but we prepare as though it all depends on me. Okay, that's exactly what happened tonight. I have been praying for weeks <laughs> that the Lord would do something with the subject that I have, and I have been praying diligently because I know that unless he does something, this is all just a lot of talking without any um, really good results. But I prepared as though it all depended on me. So we've got this nice little balance going on here where God does the stuff only he can do and then we do our part. That's part of the whole spiritual warfare uh, thing. The passage in Ephesians talks about us putting on the armor and then using it. Okay. To illustrate one aspect of this helmet of salvation, we will use a very well-known biblical account when an unlikely warrior wore well the helmet of salvation, a helmet which protected his mind from fear and doubt, a spiritual helmet that made him think like a warrior, a helmet that made him bold enough to protect an entire nation. We're going to see and go through again when David faces Goliath on a battlefield. We just need to get a couple things straight. David and Goliath is a common children's story. If you went to church as a child, you probably heard David and Goliath. The story is not primarily aimed at children. It's primarily aimed at real men just like us in this room, okay? 
the David and Goliath encounter is not really about physical conflict. There was physical conflict involved, but it really is not about that. What it's about is a spiritual encounter between a person being used by God to go up against a huge enemy that was being used by Satan. Okay, it's a textbook, ideal textbook for how we should live life and engage in spiritual warfare. So just a little background or refresher. The Philistines were enemies of Israel and had decided to conquer them. The Philistines had a giant named Goliath. He was roughly 10 feet tall. He was trained since his youth as a warrior. He was arrayed in full battle armor with a giant spear, a giant sword, a giant javelin, a giant shield, and a giant ego, I suppose. He was so terrifying that not one man in the entire Israeli army was willing to face him man to man. Not one man in the entire Israel army was willing to face him man to man. That included Saul, who was Israel's leader and king. Compared to a normal-sized man or boy, Goliath was a formidable giant-sized soldier. Compared to Jesus, the warrior king, Goliath was a speck. This is what the boy David understood in his mind inside his helmet of salvation with crystal clarity. This explains David's willingness to face Goliath one-on-one. So let's go, let's go through that account in 1 Samuel and look at it from this little different perspective. So David shows up on the battlefield. He's trying to figure out what's going on. He's asking questions. He's being ridiculed by his brothers and all this stuff. Okay. David goes to Saul the king and he says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Okay, first brilliant statement. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replies. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Okay, he's thinking rightly inside of his helmet of salvation. Let's just think for a minute so this doesn't become like some abstract story that we can't relate to. If someone loosed a lion in this room and it became, began attacking some of the men closest to the door, what would you do? <laughs> B. 
big lion, big noise, big claws, big teeth. Okay. We may not be sure what we would do. What would David do? Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Okay, so apparently Saul thinks that the Lord may be with David, but the Lord would not be with Saul. That was another great thinking conclusion. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such these things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again, picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then physically armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. Did you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. That was a huge mistake. Tactically, that's a huge mistake. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. So when we listen to the words of David, we're hearing him talking in the context of his helmet of salvation. Okay, he was thinking and praying as though the whole battle belonged to the Lord which it did. It depended on God to make this thing happen. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Okay, had David been prepared mentally and spiritually and physically And had he been trusting in the Lord for the battle? Absolutely. But he didn't just stand there, did he? What does it say? He quickly ran out to meet Goliath. Okay. So he was doing his part. He prayed as though it all depended on God, and he was acting as as though it all depended on him. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a a sling and a stone, for he had no physical sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Let's think about a few things from this account. 
Israel, God's people, had an entire army and its leaders clad in physical armor. Based on their terror of Goliath, what spiritual armor did they have on? None, right? We have a boy with no physical body armor. What spiritual armor did he have? Was he wearing the spiritual armor of God, including the helmet of salvation described in Ephesians 6? Yeah, yeah. He had determined in his mind, protected by that same helmet of salvation, to trust in the proven character and capabilities of the Lord. He wasn't trusting in his own capabilities, but he was trusting in the Lord's capabilities. What did the Lord use to build up David's trust in him? When David thought through what he learned about God from the encounters with lions and bears, what did he rightly conclude? Was that like a helmet of salvation protecting his mind going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Let's look at this next slide. Just as a side note, how do you think the men or the trained soldiers in Israel's army felt about themselves when they were rescued by a mere shepherd boy? How would you have felt? Whole army there all clad in armor, their job, protect Israel, they've been trained. One giant comes out, no one will fight you. And they get rescued by a mere shepherd boy. Any one of them could have trusted in the Lord like David did, but they didn't. Any one of them could have fought like David did, but they didn't. David thought correctly about the Lord. He did not exercise blind faith. David exercised informed faith and trust. David personally knew the Lord's character and capabilities. If David could trust the Lord with lions and bears, could he trust the Lord with a giant, especially one who was mocking the nation, the God's own people. David chose to put on a helmet of salvation which protected his mind from doubts and fears. This helmet of salvation caused him to think correctly about the Lord and act accordingly. Here's a hard question. As men in 2022... Are we cowering like Israel's army or are we bold in the Lord like David? That's a really sobering question to think about. In our efforts to honor Jesus and protect our loved ones, will the Lord support us just like he supported David? Will he? Yeah, absolutely. 
Spiritual warfare occurs on multiple fronts. Our minds are a target, our emotions are a target, our wills are a target, our families are a target, our friends are a target. Every time we share our faith, we have stepped onto a battlefield. As we speak tonight, somewhere the enemy is custom designing a strategy to attack us. I don't know what it looks like, but there are demons somewhere that are developing detailed plans to attack each one of us and our families. This would be, a, this would be terrifying were it not for the sovereign control. This would be terrifying were it not for the sovereign control of our commander-in-chief. Jesus sets the battle parameters before every encounter with the enemy. We are never alone and never unprotected. However, spiritual warfare is never a passive activity. We must do our part, just like David did his part. He prayed, trusted God, and then he acted accordingly. Let go and let God does not apply here, okay? Maybe that was some kind of a buzz phrase at some time in the past, but it's really hard to find any biblical support for that. Let go and let God does not apply. A good soldier of the Lord Jesus knows the Bible. He does not rely solely on Bruce or one of the other pastors to know the Bible. He proactively seeks to learn on his own. Preaching and teaching are valuable additions to our Bible knowledge, but we should live as though our knowledge and application of biblical truth all depends on us. As I mentioned earlier, when I teach our ABF, I pray as though it all depends on God, and I prepare as though it all depends on me. That is how Jesus' man lives and fights every day. This is putting on the helmet of salvation. What is our helmet of salvation today in 22? What protects our minds from the slings and arrows of the enemy? What does the Lord Jesus use today to train his soldiers? What does the Lord use today to make us as fearless as David? Obviously, it is a personal knowledge of his word. And specifically, it is his character and capabilities that we learn about in his word. It is applying his word in every situation. It is trusting his word and his character and his capabilities that he reveals in his word. It is living every day and making every decision based on who Jesus is and what he can do. Would it be wise to use this approach to God's word? We know that it is our responsibility. We need to know what is our responsibility and what is our share of the work as it applies to knowing and doing God's word. God will faithfully illuminate his word and its meaning to us. It is our responsibility to read it, meditate on it, apply it, and do it.
Just like David, the Lord will do his part and we must do our part. It's always a partnership thing. Bottom line, we must know and apply his word for ourselves. One last point. It's a personal testimony. Uh, this is kind of the way the Lord has shaped my thinking over these last 40 years that I've been saved. What I want you to do is we're going to make some statements here about real men and what they do. And if you agree, I'd like you to say amen. But we're not a bunch of weenies in here, right? We're not going to say amen. We're going to say amen like real men. Yeah, except louder, yes. But you have to wait till I say something that's worthy of saying that. Okay. Yeah. I fight this spiritual battle we have been discussing out of a sense of duty to the Lord Jesus. That is right and good. Real men have a strong sense of duty to their families and to Jesus. Amen? I fight this spiritual battle out of a sense of loyalty to the Lord Jesus. This is right and good. Jesus is worthy of total loyalty. Amen. You have to say amen when I say to say amen. But it was a good statement to say amen too. Are they always this rebellious or not? Oh, okay. Jesus is worthy of total loyalty. Real men are loyal to their families and to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes. Real men are loyal to Christ and their families. I fight this spiritual battle because it is the right thing to do. Anything Jesus calls us to do is right and good. Real men do what is right by their families and do right by Jesus. Amen? But most of all, I fight this spiritual battle because I love, the, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I did not come to deeply love Jesus because I heard about him in sermons. It helped, but it was not enough. I did not come to deeply love Jesus because I heard other Christians speaking about him. It helped, but it wasn't enough. I came to love him deeply because I sought him with all my heart in his word. That meant studying the Bible for myself and thinking large and long and hard about who Jesus is. The spiritual helmet of salvation is made up of many different materials, but it would seem like personal love for Jesus is the greatest material out of which it's made. That love will cause us to fearlessly do anything and everything for his pleasure and glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Most likely, the toughest times we have ever faced in our lifetimes are ahead of us. We need the settlement of salvation to protect our minds and keep us on the right path. Our undying love for Christ will compel us to do everything he calls us to do. That's it.
I'm just really thankful for this whole series on uh, spiritual warfare, and I know that it's really um, heightened my awareness of things and reminded me of things that might have known but had kind of slipped into the background. And so um, ever since we started this series, it's like all of a sudden you see spiritual warfare across the board as it really is. And so I hope it's been uh, beneficial to all of you guys. <laughs> so thank you for your attention. Let me pray and then we'll uh, dismiss. Father, we just thank you for this time tonight. Um, you are a great God and you have, as your men, you've given us uh, great responsibilities to our wives, to our families, uh, to your church, uh, to uh, your kingdom. Uh, Father, we, we are not those that shrink back, but we want to move forward boldly, courageously, fearlessly. Father, whatever your son asks us to do in these days and weeks and months ahead of us, Father, it's not too much. He is worthy of our very best up into including our very lives. And so, Father, may we gladly be used for his glory uh, as long as we are here and breathing. May your May your son be glorified by all that uh, Maranatha does. May the men at Maranatha um, be special in your eyes. May we be good examples. And may you use us mightily for the glory of your son. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. <laughs>